welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome, everyone. This session is uh, a bonus episode, which is a recording from the Zoom call that was on October 25th, 2020. The session was the first one of its kind, and it was focused on pregnancy and infant loss awareness support uh, session where people got to uh, log in and listen to our speakers and also have their questions answered. So thank you so much for listening. So much to everyone for all the hard work that has been put in uh, to put this together. Uh, so a round of applause to everyone. We're gonna be throwing stars a lot and clapping for people just so we, we recognize that people are here. So thank you very much. Um, we are going to start with our first speaker and um, she is going to take us through uh, her journey and she has already given us a little bit and we are going to uh, give Natalie um, a chance that just to um, share her story uh, for a couple of minutes and then we will move over to the, the other speakers. Natalie, over to you, thank you. Hi guys, I've already given you kind of a flavor for our journey. So um, my husband and I are both from Zimbabwe and mom, half Zimbabwe and half South Africa. My husband is Zimbabwean and um, from an African background living in the UK. When we got married in 2008, we thought that babies would just come naturally. And being of a very strong Christian faith, you know, we thought if we prayed enough, if we fasted enough, it would happen. It didn't happen. It, you know, for eight years, nothing happened. And we eventually decided to go and start seeking medical treatment. And it took me the longest time to convince myself as a woman of faith that seeking medical treatment was not betraying my trust in God. And I remember going for the tests and I think initially what with the NHS, they just rebuffed everything. Their initial thing was like, just go back and try again. It was constantly go back and try again. But I remember knowing in the pit of my stomach that there was something else that needed doing. And I remember trying thinking I need to just seek more help. Eventually we ended up going privately for our IVF cycles. But when we went into this, there was just very little information available. We didn't know where to, you know, where to start. We had very little information. We honestly just thought IVF was going to be a silver bullet. And I remember going into this thinking we will do this only once. Boy, were we mistaken because we ended up doing 12 IVF cycles because it turned out that there were immunology issues. There were um, some male factor issues as well. So it unraveled and we ended up going to a clinic in the Czech Republic who were just amazing and saw us along the way and helped us every step of the way. They were absolutely brilliant, very supportive. Unfortunately, through all our cycles, we had seven losses and we didn't understand 
understand why it was happening. It led us to end up reading medical journals and doing research ourselves. And through all this searching, we ended up with this master spreadsheet because my husband is of a financial background and statistics are very important to him because he's like, okay, we're almost getting there, but we need to record our journeys. And from that birthed an app, which we've launched recently, which is available on Android and App Store. And, um, and the app just helps you record your journey and helps you know what you, you know, how you respond to every cycle. You can put your, your details in there, your data in there. And I think that really helped me along the journey is to go back and revisit it. Um, we've recently cycled again. We did a frozen embryo transfer and this was cycle 13. It does not get any easier. You would think after doing so many cycles, you think I've got this, but not at all. It felt like a brand new cycle. It felt like day one, the drugs were kicking me in the butt every day, every day. It was tough. It was so tough. And I think getting that BFN, the big fat negative was just as tough. It hit like a ton of bricks. You think you'd become accustomed to it, but you don't. And I think I'm just here to encourage to say that, yes, you know, we got our miracle baby. We got baby Joshua. He's such a joy. But even when you cycle after having a baby, infertility is still there. You know, it doesn't go away overnight. And I think I'm so grateful for for this group of women, this support system, because I remember having a miscarriage and getting up and going to work the next day and thinking, I just have to keep going. There's nobody tells you. And I remember a moment standing there and thinking, okay, I mean, I've had just about every miscarriage known, the mis miscarriage, the blighted ovum. I've had the, you know, where the, the medicated miscarriage, I've had the DNC, I've had, where I've miscarried at home and you think, do I flush? Don't I flush? What am I supposed to do? Nobody tells you what to do. And I think, especially within our communities, we don't talk enough about it. I don't know, but culturally for us, it, you might, it's talked about, but in hushed you know, hushed conversations and, or if somebody mentions it, it's like, no, we don't talk about that. And I think for me, it's important that we give women a voice, that we have a voice and that our stories are relevant and our stories matter. And that is why I'm so passionate about it. I will always be passionate about IVF from a woman of color perspective, from a woman of faith perspective. And, you know, and also coming to the point that failure is okay. It hurts, but it's okay. And it doesn't mean that you don't have the victory. It just means you're still in the battle. And so that's all I wanted to just say is just, I wanted to encourage you. If you want to follow me on Instagram, my um, handle is my IVF underscore miracle. And I think I'm here to support, to learn, because even though I've done so many cycles, I'm still here to learn. There's always so much to learn. Thank you. Thank you so much, Natalie. That is uh, very encouraging from you. And um, I, I'd, I'd like to point out just a couple of things that you said. Um, one, you know, being that we, we don't talk about uh, pregnancy losses. It's something that is uh, hushed about. We, we shouldn't talk about it. And it leaves certain um, scars in us that we, we couldn't uh, grieve uh, properly. Uh, because everyone just wants to rush you into uh, forgetting that you were pregnant as if 
and that itself is going to bring healing. So thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. Um, it's much appreciated. We are next going to um, move on to our infertility counselor and coach. And I am going to introduce to us uh, Kezia Okafo, um, who is an infertility coach and counselor. Uh, she provides specialist uh, emotional support on your fertility journey. And she helps you with less stress and more able to cope with events and treatments that you have to endure. Because I, I, I would you know, think that a lot of uh, patients that go through IVF, they are really not uh, prepared emotionally and otherwise, especially if it's the first time uh, that they are going through it. So this is why um, a fertility coach um, comes in and um, the fertility coach will then assist you um, in what to expect. She is an author of a newly released book, uh, Flipping the Script of Infertility, and it is available on Amazon. Um, we will post um, her website on all of the organization's stories. Um, I think even the, the next coming speakers, we will uh, post uh, their details on all our stories. So if you would like to find out where you can get hold of them, um, tomorrow or today later on, you can uh, get details of all our speakers um, from all the organization stories. So ladies um, and gentlemen that are here, um, help me welcome uh, Kezia. Kezia, all over oh, to you. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Um, nice to see you all here and so many faces. Um, it's really incredible. So thank you for having me today. Um, yeah, as, as um, I was introduced, uh, my name is Kezia and I am a infertility counsellor and a fertility coach um, and also just released a book called Flipping the Script on Infertility. I think it's really important. I can just wait. Sorry. Yeah. So what I really do is I help women to deal with the emotional distress uh, around infertility and, um, and the mental health aspect, because I think through my own journey of infertility, that was the thing that I found was missing, um, that people just weren't talking about enough. Um, and during my training, I was able to connect the two, but I don't think it's always obvious to women going through infertility, and that's whether they're going through IVF or trying on their own. Um, and I think you're right, you know, people go into IVF not really knowing what to expect, but I think there's also this kind of, um, there's this kind of misunderstanding that actually you don't just walk into IVF, you don't start trying on Monday and walk into IVF on Friday. You've, you've already been through a infertility journey just to get to IVF. And so what toll does that already play before you've even started IVF? So for me, it's really important that women understand that, you know, everything that you're feeling around infertility and, you know, the loss of your dreams, the loss of what you thought was going to happen in your life is important and we need to acknowledge that and recognize that. Um, so I'm here today anyway to talk about um, miscarriage and pregnancy loss and the effect that it has on us as women but also on our relationships and on our family um, and what I found with the women that I work with 
is that there's really we get told well women get told well this is this happens one in four pregnancies are lost um and as if that's some comfort and the women i meet are not comforted by that because you didn't lose one in four babies you lost your baby and that had a meaning and a significance um and so i just feel like we need to understand that more and we need to be talking about that more because the more that we talk about it the more that we share these stories the more that we don't feel so isolated and alone so the impact is huge especially to a woman because obviously it happens to her but i think we also have to be mindful of the experiences of those that witness it so partners or you know uh you know friends or people that go along with you or support you through it because it is a really and for some women that I meet it can be an extremely traumatic experience and again that's another thing that isn't talked about that actually a miscarriage isn't just something that happens actually it can be extremely traumatic um and just listening to Natalie's story which you know you so gracefully shared and I think we're all very thankful for is that it is traumatic you know it doesn't matter how many you go through it doesn't matter the circumstances you know it is a really difficult experience and it's distressing and so to be given a simple leaflet at the end of it <laughs> as if that's comforting is not comforting um and I so I'm really quite impassioned about this topic because I think the medical uh community hasn't caught up with their empathy and um and their compassion around this um and usually women are you know who are experiencing miscarriages are put on you know pregnancy wards with women that have babies i mean there's so much stuff around this that i think we're just not helping women um go through these experiences so and it's just beyond it's beyond the impact of the lost dreams and hope shattered but there's also a loss of confidence in herself you know we're told that this is natural we should be able to do this this is what our bodies are made for but, you know this is what we're here for our woman's purpose or a woman's job is to have children and so when she experiences a loss she doesn't she's lost confidence in herself too like why can my body not do this you know what's wrong with me so there's all of this going on this isn't what my life was meant to go like now i got married i've done everything in the right order got married and now i'm meant to have children and that's not why is this not happening in the way i thought so there's lots of it's so deep and i think we have a a complete misunderstanding whether it's in infertility or miscarriage and baby loss of just kind of trivializing it of kind of just going well get on with it you know keep going and i'm like you know in my job not just through my own experiences of going through infertility but for the women that i work with i'm i'm just astounded by their stories every single day and they always say to me why am i not over this and i'm like well you're not over it because it's not that simple there's a process there's a grieving 
um, you're having a natural reaction to a traumatic and stressful experience. And we don't talk about it enough. And I think that's really damaging. So why I'm thankful for to be here today talking to you and why I'm thankful for groups like this that we're having these conversations, but I think it's really important. Um, so when it comes to miscarriage, one of the things I think we have a tendency to say to women, get on with it, like go on, just try again, at least you know she can, you can get pregnant. Don't think that's really helpful. I think actually what we're dealing with is loss and grief. And we tend to, you know, when, when we have death in our society, we have loads of ways of dealing with that. We have rituals around, you know, burials and wakes and I don't know, you know, celebrations, life celebrations. But when a baby is lost, when a miscarriage is lost, when an embryo, you know, if we really go into this, even when an embryo is lost, after a you know a failed cycle what we're really dealing with is grief and so grief in any other way in any other form in society we would you know rally around someone so I don't think it's as easy as saying women let's get on with this let's just try again I think actually it's making space to grief and of course Men and women deal with grief in very different ways and deal with stressful and traumatic uh, experiences in different ways. Women need to talk. We get a lot out of it, out of talking. Um, and when we talk, we process what we've been through and we process our experience. Um, and so it, becomes a, it can become a very healing thing to talk about. But when we're around other people who don't understand and then can't talk to us about it, it can feel very abandoning and isolating. And then when we're with our partners who helplessly are dealing with it in their own way, but men deal with stress and trauma in very different ways. They wanna do something. So they wanna go out and play on their video game or I don't know, go and bang something, go to the gym and work it out. They don't wanna talk about it because for them talking is like, they're just not, evolutionary programmed to talk <laughs> in that way um, they are the you know the go out and provide and, and do things so men and women are dealing with it different ways and so with men I'm always encouraging men to just listen we don't have to fix anything and I think that's what a lot of people try to do when they're talking to someone going through grief or loss is that they want to fix it. So we tend to get people saying things like, it's okay, it'll be okay, you'll be fine. And what we find is that we get shut down because in their discomfort with our sadness or our anger or whatever it is we're feeling, they have to manage that. And so they just go, oh, it'll be okay, you'll be fine. And so what I always encourage people to do is just, just to listen. We don't have to fix anything here. But for the woman, it's going to be very healing to be heard, to be seen and to be listened to. And it's really important that we give space for that in the grieving process. Um, the other thing I would say is it's so complex, you know, um, dealing with grief, dealing with loss is very complex. There is no linear 
timeline to it. It's like you don't experience it and then you kind of cry for a week, get angry for another week, cry again for another week and then you're done. It's not, it's not like that. There's no linear time. It's, it can come in waves. I always like to think of it as in, you know, when you've got the tide, sometimes the tide comes in and it washes over you and you can cope with that one. And then another time a big wave comes and it's much bigger and you feel like you're going to drown. It goes out again and then you might get another wave that comes, but this one's a little bit more bearable. And it's just a constant ebbing and flowing of feelings and eventually things pass, but there's no time or structure of how anyone is meant to go through it. So there's no expectation of time when it comes to healing and grief and, and loss. Um, but there's also no expectation on exactly how that should look like. So it's gonna look different for every single person that experiences it. There's no one way, there's no right way, there's no wrong way. Um, but I think again, we, we need to make space for that um, and allow that. And I don't think there is much allowing in our society and maybe that might change. I, I hope it will change the more we have these conversations. Um, and that kind of leads me on to the importance of creating rituals around miscarriage and loss. So I work with women um, and when we were working face to face before COVID, we would actually create little ceremonies so we would light a candle we would sit there and we would talk about what happened I would ask her if she wanted to say some words to her child if she knew what it was a boy or a girl if she had a name you know what when was the due date these things are really important because she doesn't forget these things she doesn't forget the date of of the loss but she also doesn't forget the date of when she was meant to give birth and so we just talk about it and we honour it because I think a lot of women, when they go through this, experience it as people don't want to talk about it. People don't want me to talk about it. And so what she feels like is like, I must silence myself. I must keep this all in. And I'm being, maybe I should just, you know, forget about it. But that's not helpful to her. It's really not helpful to her because she hasn't forgotten about it and she can't forget about it. So when I work with women, we honour that, we, we talk about it. We talk about not just what happened and the trauma, but you know, the name, the name is important. She had one, um, the, the due date, everything around it, if she had bought anything. And so now I encourage women to do that, to do that with their partners. You know, if you've got a garden, go and plant a tree or a your favourite flower. If you don't have that, maybe there's a painting or a, a picture that you have. Um, light a candle with you and your partner and just, I don't know, whatever comes to mind, you know, speak, speak what is on your heart. There are so many different ways and each way is really personal. But I really encourage women to do this because I think there's an importance about not dismissing your experience, but really honouring the pregnancy and that baby, that life, 
you know, and all that you expected from that life, because you did, you know, the moment that you got your positive, you had ideas about what that would look like, what that baby might look like, what its life might be like, what your life was going to be like. So you really need to honour that. And so I think rituals are a really important part of the process. Um, because I think forgetting and moving on is quite damaging. Yeah, that idea of just get pregnant again. And when we get pregnant again, all we do is build the anxiety and the fear of, well, what if I lose it again? Um, and as we all know, pregnancy, even just you know, getting your pregnancy positive test is a really anxious time. It's joy, but it's loaded with anxiety. Like, you know, what's gonna happen? You know, nine months is a long time. So, and that's, you know, just an, a normal response. But when you've had a, an experience losses and you take that into an, every pregnancy, well, the, the fear and the anxiety is almost tripled, if not more. So again, it's like we need to really look at that healing process first before we think about going on and having other pregnancies. Because the more we can heal, the less inclined, and the brain does this automatically. We take a past experience because the brain wants to know what's going to happen. It's, it's its way of protecting us and preparing us for what's to come. And so it will take a past experience and it will project it onto the future. So every pregnancy we have in the future, you'll go, well, what if? Because last time when I got to X amount of weeks, that happened. Last time I started to spot or whatever it was at this time. Last time I went to my scan, it wasn't good. So we're already preparing for those things. And so that's why I think the healing process the grieving process, whichever way we do it, is really important so that we can say, okay, that happened and I make my peace with that. And now I can look forward to, you know, life and what it could be. Not to say there won't be any anxiety, um, there always will be, but we can manage that, you know, without it being unencumbered by our past experiences. Um, so I think that's really, really important to say that. Another thing I think is really, is other people, and I don't, and I, and I would say this with caution, but I think other people when they are, and I kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, when they don't know what to do with our hurt and our pain, they go to reassurance. Um, and so I never think that what, I don't think people are deliberately insensitive or deliberately trying to be hurtful. And I think that's always, if you can be mindful of that when you are in receipt of a hurtful or insensitive comment, it can really help you to know that it's not, it's not personal. They're not trying to deliberately cause me pain. But I think people will say insensitive things all the time. Um, 
And the important thing is to know we can't control that, but we can say we do have a right to say, I don't want to talk to you about this. And that's a boundary. It's just saying, I don't, I can't talk about this right now. It's too painful. I just don't want to talk, have a conversation around this. And it might not be those words. You might find different words to use. But I think it's the importance of knowing that you can say, no, I don't want to have this conversation. In fact, you're not the right person for me to have this conversation with. And so it's about finding the right people, the right support to talk to. And then when we are confronted with people who we just know are not going to get it, are not going to be understanding, who aren't very empathetic, we can just say to them, actually, can we talk about something else? And that's okay. I don't have to justify it. I don't have to give lots of reasons. But I do have to know that I am adult enough to make that decision and to be able to communicate with that person actually this is a no-go area um which can be difficult especially with family um and it might have to be like boundaries of still you know I've got some family members where I'm like yeah I've got to prepare myself for this you know there's always someone, but I think the more that you know who those people are and how you're going to have to prepare yourself for that, the more you can have those conversations. Um, I don't always think avoidance is a great way, but sometimes if that's the only way to deal with certain people, then do that. Um, it's whatever works for you and whatever you can manage with. Um so that's what I'm, yeah, so that's, that's people. We can't control others. We can't control what they're going to do, but we do have a right to say no or please back off or whatever it is that the words are. So getting the right support is all about being discerning with who do we think in our lives are going to be the ones who are going to be supportive in the way that we need it. And sometimes support is about, I just want you to listen. I don't want you to say anything. Or um, I just need you to run me a bath. Just need to, you to make me a cup of tea. You know, it's not always I need you to sit down and I need to talk about it and go over it. But it's really like, or I just need to have some space. I don't want to talk to you today. You know, whatever it is, but it's being able to ask for what it is that we need. And it's really important. Um, there's lots of ways to get support. There are lots of counsellors out there. Um, and especially, I think it's very important to seek professional support when you've had a traumatic loss, when you experience. And I just want to say that traumatic doesn't necessarily mean that it was like chaos and like a big car accident and you know, there was just like chaos everywhere. Traumatic isn't about what happens. Traumatic is about how we feel about what happens to us. So some people might go through something and say, that's not traumatic. I, I, I would have dealt with that okay. Well, that's okay. And other people go through the same thing and feel traumatized. And it might be that you didn't know what was going on. None of the nurses were talking to you. That can be traumatic. It could be um you was alone and you didn't know what to do 
you know, traumatic is just whatever you feel about your experience. And if you find that actually, you know, you've lost your appetite, or you're not sleeping very well, or you're having intrusive thoughts, or, you know, recurring thoughts about it, then you do need to go and seek help and, and professional help. And, it, and it's really important um, that you do that. Um, the worst thing we could do is isolate and to not talk about it. So um, I really encourage all women to, you know, know who it is that you're talking to, know that you, who it is that is going to give you the support that you actually need. If you don't have anyone, then do go and seek, you know, someone, you know, a counsellor, a therapist. Um, don't go and just kind of silence yourself and, and struggle on. Like for me, it's just, there's too much silence around this whole whole journey it's just way too much and we need to stop that we need to start talking and talk more um so I can't employ you enough to go and speak to someone um and again I mean Natalie's story of like you know going to work the next day because you feel like you had to I think that's a lot of women's experience especially black women because we are told we're strong black women right you know we get up we get on we carry on um and sometimes I think that is the wrong message um for, and everyone's different and we all deal with grief in different ways you know some people want to go and work because it's a distraction but I think it's being mindful of you know are we consciously distracting ourselves or are we doing it because we just don't know any other way to cope very different things you know consciously is like I'm going to make a choice now to go and watch Netflix because I just can't deal with the day um that's a choice I'm consciously doing that but if I'm constantly on Netflix because I just can't deal with my life I, it's not it's no longer a choice I'm now I'm now in a maladaptive coping mechanism um it's not really helping me so I think it's really being aware of what is it I need do I need time off can I ask for that can I go to my doctor and get time off um or do I need work because actually I just want to keep going and keep going and then making sure I've got the support around me that if I go to work when I'm outside of work or you know or if, even if you know talking to managers or whatever at work um I have the support that I need so I think there are lots of different things that can help. And this is really my final point. But my biggest thing that I want to say is there is such a rush in our society to get back to normal, to get back to life, to get back to just carrying on like things don't happen and life doesn't happen. And so my biggest point is just saying to women, no matter your experience through this journey, Take your time. If you need time to, you know, be on your own or you need to miss a cycle or, you know, you need to take a break or whatever it is, you know, give yourself time and give yourself time to heal. You know, there is, I, I know that we are pressurised by ageing and this fear that we're just getting too old, but I think... The stress of that isn't helping us to conceive any quicker 
or to have healthy pregnancies or uh, to have healthy lifestyles. So please take time, take as much time as you need. Give yourselves that, that gift. I, I, I do really believe that's a gift. And there's ways you can do that, you know, even if it's just take, giving yourself time to go for a walk or time to sit on your own and journal um, or taking time off work. We can do it in a number of ways, but, but know that you're worthy of that. Know that you deserve that, you know. Um, the next one is just to feel your feelings. A lot of the time we don't allow ourselves to feel what we feel. What we tend to do is say, I shouldn't be feeling this way. I don't know why I'm feeling this way. I don't know why I'm not over this yet. Um, I don't know why I'm still sad or whatever. So we make judgments about the way we feel. We make judgments about the way we should be feeling or not should or shouldn't be feeling. And, and I just say, just feel your feelings no matter what. You know, sadness, anger, frustration, whatever it is, feel it. Because the more that we try not to feel it, the more our feelings want to be felt. Um, they, emotions for me, are just communicating, at, you know, what's happened in our lives. And the more that we can sit with it and say, yeah, I am sad today. I am really sad. Actually, it's really, yeah, I'm really, I'm really feeling it today. Just acknowledge it. Um, and we can do that in, again in lots of ways. I call it tuning in, really paying attention to actually what is it I'm feeling today and therefore what is it do I need? So if I'm really sad, maybe I need a hug. Who can I ask for a hug? Or maybe I just need a really big piece of cake. I don't know about you, but I love cake. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like there's no judgment there. It's like this is what I'm feeling and this is what I need. Um, and again, I think the, the other thing that can help and I talked about before was just the rituals, you know, don't, it, you know, it's not silly. It's not, it's not unimportant. I think it's really important to mark your experiences and to honor, you know, your life and the life that you carried. Um, so those are my tips for how you can really support yourself. Um, through your experience of infertility and pregnancy, miscarriage, loss. I hope that helps. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much, um, Kezia. We, we really appreciate all the info that you have shared with us. Um, one thing that you said that I have experienced in my own personal journey is when you said the idea of moving on too quickly is quite damaging, you know, um, because you never give yourself time to feel what you need to feel, you know. Um, I remember I had most of my miscarriages around the month of October, between September and October. I think it's only two that happened one in Feb and the other one was in June. And I remember last year, um, around October, I started having a funny period. And I swear, I was convinced that I was losing another pregnancy. When I went to uh, see the doctor at, uh, in casualty, 
I said, I've got a, his a history of recurring pregnancy losses. And I, I, I promise you with the way I'm feeling right now, um, I can tell you that I'm having another one. And that wasn't true, you know, um, they found that probably I was just having a painful period that was out of the ordinary. Um, but it's, it's exactly not dealing with uh, the pain of the previous losses, you know, yeah. that creates anxiety uh, whenever I feel in a certain way, whenever um, we do happen to fall pregnant. The first default thought is how long is this going to stay, you know? Um, can the doctor prevent it? Um, can, did, is there anything that I did that could have caused the pregnancy loss, you know? Um, one of the confusions that uh, we had as a couple, because, uh, you know, men are also very much involved in the process. They might not talk as much. They might not be the ones that go to hospital, but the emotional toll that it takes on them, it's just as much as uh, women go through, you know? Um, first of all, I was told that, you know, um, I'm having recurring miscarriages because of um, an immunological disorder, you know, um, hence that. But then, uh, uh, to no one in my family has ever had. Um, I didn't even know what was happening to me when I was admitted in hospital. And I remember I only found out after surgery that doctor removed my tube. And that on its own was just trauma. I thought maybe they cut the tube on the side somehow, they remove whatever, and then they stitch it back together. Then my chances of falling pregnant don't decrease in any way. So it's important for us to get the right information uh, so that we align our thoughts and expectations to um, the real thing instead of misconceptions and blaming each other as a couple and blaming the doctor. And um, we've got a doctor who's going to speak to us right now. Um, and the reason why we, we, we invited a doctor in was mainly to understand, most of us ask ourselves this question, is there anything that I could have done to prevent um, the pregnancy loss? Did I carry anything that was too heavy? Did I sleep on the wrong side? Um, you know, to a point where you think, am I an unforgiving person? So God is punishing me for that. Um, did I do to, something to hurt someone? And maybe this is why, uh, you know, my seed is not uh, growing to a point I can give birth, you know? So we've got um, Dr. Q, uh, my, my very dear sister, um, a sister in the Lord as well. So Dr. Kinesile Diale is um, an obstetrician, a gynecologist, and also a fertility specialist at Family Matters Fertility Center situated in Centurion in Pretoria. She's been practicing daily the art of women's health and facing its challenges with triumph. She assists women through their trials of pregnancy, through their pregnancy journey and all the way to a safe delivery. 
She is blessed with four wonderful children and many others that she cares for in the community. Ladies and a few gentlemen that are here, let us all welcome Dr. Kinisile Diale. Dr. Q, over to you. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. And I'm glad to say gentlemen, all the men that are involved. Um, I always say, you know, it really takes two to tango. This is a journey where it does really take two. In this wonderful discussion, in this forum, we are really excited to be part of this forum. So I don't know if you'd like me to straight away answer questions or just discuss um, miscarriages and pregnancy losses um, as an overview. You know, it's, a, it's, it's my field, so I can go on nonstop. <laughs> Yeah. Um, uh, by the way, you you are a very um, good teacher. Um, you you you've got that gift of explaining things um, in a way that a layman can understand. So you Thank can you. start with the overview, and then we will move on um, to the questions later on. Okay. Okay. So uh, speaking in medical terms, maybe firstly I can just. Uh, make us uh, all aware what a miscarriage is. And I must say, hello for legged baby. <laughs> so I must say that um, miscarriages are defined differently in different states, hey? And um, in certain countries, it depends on the advancement of medical technology and therefore determining whether they can save that baby, a baby that small or not. So in our country, which is South Africa, we term miscarriage as, especially this is now in the private sector of, uh, of, of uh, South Africa. It is a loss that is less than 24 weeks. So any baby that is above uh, 500 gram, uh, 24 weeks or 500 gram, any baby that is above that at least has a chance of survival. And this is mainly in the private sector. And then unfortunately in, our, in the very same country, but in the government sector, you find that a miscarriage is a pregnancy that is less than 28 weeks, which, is, which means a one kg baby and below in the private sector has a lower chance of survival. Not that it cannot survive at all, but you find that there's a deficiency of staff maybe or deficiency of ICU ventilators and all those things. So all the advancement of drugs and technology determines how the survival rate is. So having spoken about that, and also having dis um, um, uh, discussed how the first thing, you know, um, in my office, I sit with a box of tissues. And unfortunately, um, miscarriages, as much as my um, work is filled with so much joy and excitement, um, it also comes with being the bearer of the bad news, you know, and it, it, it also, you know, 
puts a lot of strain on me personally, and I know with my other colleagues as well, um, it puts a lot of strain and, and also drain on us um, to be the person that actually has to disclose that unfortunately there is no heartbeat. It may be that the woman is expecting that she's already eight weeks pregnant, we're gonna um, pick up or detect the heartbeat, or maybe we're gonna tell her how far pregnant she is, but we have to tell her that a pregnancy never formed. Or it's a pregnancy that has been going on already and somewhere in the first or second trimester, the pregnancy is lost. So now the first question that the woman really asks herself is what did I do wrong, you know? And um, it's a very difficult question to answer. And most times um, there really is no answer uh, to that. But, and, and actually, if ever we had to answer, most times I do say that you did nothing wrong. You actually did nothing wrong and it is not your fault and it is not your partner's fault you know so some of the things that maybe i can discuss which are things that um, can affect a pregnancy that we can do something about uh, either to avoid or to change with the next pregnancy are uh, things like habits that um, women are involved in. There are some women who smoke, and these days they'll tell you, I don't smoke cigarettes, I smoke hubbly, or I vape, or I this, I that. There are some women who still have the use of alcohol, and it's excessive use of alcohol that actually does have, you know, alcohol affects every cell in the body, you know, and it has a negative effect on the whole body. And um, that is excessive use of alcohol and also excessive use of caffeine. So these are the habits that maybe one can look into and start with reducing. So that is something that maybe a woman can do something about, something that is within your control, uh, the habits that one is um, uh, practicing. And others that may not be in your control, but that when we do test and we are able to pick up and we can do something about, treat or manage our hormonal abnormalities like having thyroid problems, a low acting thyroid or a hyper acting thyroid is actually disturbing the homeostasis or the normal functioning of the body. And that actually affects the pregnancy itself. So we can check for hormones like thyroid. We can check for also hormonal conditions like diabetes. Diabetes is also not good in pregnancy. So at times you find that a woman had undiagnosed diabetes and then that caused a pregnancy loss either very early in the pregnancy. And sometimes, you know, it's one of the saddest uh, causes of stillbirths, you know, and it's very common um, in terms of stillbirths where pregnancy is already in third trimester and you're coming for a general checkup and there is absolutely no heartbeat, uh, only to find um, during investigations that it was actually undiagnosed diabetes, high blood sugar levels. And the, this can be either pre-existing before the pregnancy or something that develops during the pregnancy, of which we usually recommend that it be checked by 24 weeks of pregnancy.
that's where the pregnancy has an effect on the hormones and the, pre the, the, the fetus itself. Other things that we can actually check for, which really are not the woman's fault and um, can mostly be detected after a history. Women are not straight away tested for all these things uh, to say, let me check if you have an autoimmune disease or this disease, you know, straight away because these things are very costly. I had a patient that came to me some years ago and she was she came to me because her doctor was away and I was the one available gynae and she said she's expecting herself to be nine weeks pregnant and now she started uh, seeing brownish discharge she just wanted me to check unfortunately I had to diagnose her with a miss miscarriage only to learn that this was her fourth one the first time that I saw her. And then I recommended that we do these investigations for autoimmune diseases, as, uh, but mostly um, antiphospholipid syndrome. And you know that she was um, unfortunately declined by her medical aid. And the tests were actually so expensive that she felt herself and she told me, doc, I can't afford. I said, okay, in your next pregnancy, come early then. The moment you, 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 you know or you uh, suspect a pregnancy, come through, let's do a, a blood test because I don't expect to see much on sauna. And then I can maybe put you on some medication. And she came through, said, doc, this is it. We quickly did a pregnancy test. It was positive. I said, come to my office the next day. By the time she came, we were expecting her to be about six weeks, but unfortunately already it was a missed miscarriage. You know, until I had to say, look, the treatment for this condition is so expensive itself that I need to motivate with scientific basis for me to say, take this medication. In South Africa, it costs plus minus 3000 Rand a month. So for you to spend that much on something that has not even been diagnosed, you're just suspecting it's very difficult. So probably the test as well cost just under that amount. And she ended up going for the test and we confirmed that yes, she really does have antiphospholipid syndrome with this history of multiple first trimester pregnancy losses. And this blood test that now confirmed this, she had never had any blood clotting to the lung or wherever else in the body. But with this history and the blood test, we were able to motivate to her medical aid and really they approved the drugs and she had to inject herself on a daily basis took the pregnancy all the way to 38 weeks and she delivered a healthy baby girl. And it was our success story, you know? So thank you, yes. So these are one of the things that really, it's something that you cannot do anything about. It's not your fault. It's something that, that is dealt upon you, but with proper investigations and going to the depth of, the causes and looking at the differentials, we can detect it and we can treat and we can get a good success story. So that is antiphospholipid where the body has antibodies that fight the growing pregnancy. And once we detect that, the actually the body causes blood clots with, by the level, at the level of the placenta. Now the placenta is feeding 
baby blood, which is nutrition and oxygen for the baby to survive. Now your body goes and forms clots in the placenta. It's like blocking a bridge. And now there's no more blood supply to the baby. Then the baby then ends up not having the nutrition, not having any oxygen and demises on the inside. So what we do is just give medication, which is which we call anticoagulants, which is which means anti-clotting, preventing your blood from clotting. And then the, the bridge can be open, the flow can be continuous throughout the pregnancy. Other things that really women don't have anything to do with, but uh, unfortunately, um, dealt with this as well um, is abnormalities in the womb. These can be on the inside of the womb and you can only unfortunately detect it after going through the miscarriage and we have the history, then we go deeper into the investigations. And this abnormality in the womb could be things like a uterine septum, which is just a, 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 a instead of the womb going round and sitting like this at the top, you find that there is a growth into the womb, almost dividing it on the inside. And this now causes reduced blood supply, this area here, and it causes reduced blood supply. If the baby implants in this area, there is just no muscle wall going through it to feed the baby blood. So what we do is we go in vaginally with a camera and we cut this out. So instead of the womb sitting like this, this is cut out and it opens up, making more space in the pregnancy so that with the next pregnancy, implantation can take place in the right place. So this is what the uterine septum is called and it's a surgical intervention. We firstly investigate surgically without making a cut on the abdomen, but going through vaginally. So some women are born with uterine septums. Not all uterine septums, septums lead to miscarriages, but some women do experience miscarriages if the septum is extended. Another anatomy, abnormal anatomy in the womb would be things like fibroids. You know, I've had a lot of patients presenting with fibroids. Another story maybe that I can share with you is of another patient of mine who presented with, um, I've been treating her sister and we delivered her younger sister. And then she came also in early pregnancy. And when we did the sonar, unfortunately, it was a missed miscarriage, I think around seven weeks. And I told her, your, it looks like your womb has a lot of fibroids. And I don't think your, your, your baby is getting enough blood supply to be sustained in the womb. And unfortunately for treating fibroids, we don't recommend um, going through things that can affect the lining of the womb and the muscle and the ovaries. So we recommend a surgical removal of the fibroids of which then, the lady was unhappy with that and we decided to go ahead and she came back for the, ne the next pregnancy the following year and it was another mis miscarriage. Like I saw her almost two to three times with the pregnancy, the first visit that she comes already, there is no fetal heart. 
until I managed to convince her that we surgically removed the fibroids and we went through an operation. It was successful. I removed multiple fibroids from the womb. I was happy, went inside, made sure the cavity was fine, then removed the fibroids, which are abnormal muscle growths on the muscle of the womb. And they were removed. And these now are like trying to plant a seed in a rocky ground. So, you know, if you want to go into a garden and you want to plant, you need to work the soil first and make sure that all the rocks are removed and you remove the weed and all that. So now fibroids are like those rocks in your garden, are like those rocks. And now if you want to plant and the the roots need to go deep, which is the blood supply and the placenta, you find that there is no proper communication and the roots are so shallow, the pregnancy washes away. So that is the effect of of fibroids in a woman's womb. So this lady as well, we removed the fibroids a few, um, a couple of months later, if not the following year, she came in and she said, Dr. Q, I can tell my body is at it again. I was pregnant, the symptoms are going away. I've lost this one again. I'm like, okay, let's just do a sauna and see. And we did a sauna and to my real impression really, and my excitement, I. You know, with pride, we just put that probe and we get that heartbeat and you put the volume on loud and you can almost dance to it, you know, like, hey, <laughs> there's a heartbeat. And, um, and to her shock as well, she was surprised. We carried that pregnancy all the way to 39 weeks and she delivered a healthy baby girl and she had a boy in the previous um, pregnancy. It was excitement galore. So it really go to go, went to show that these fibroids were actually affecting every pregnancy that she had. So those are the, some of the uh, abnormalities that you can have in the womb, in the muscle of the womb. Then again, there are other ladies who specifically have miscarriages in their second trimester of pregnancy. And they have a typical history of a painless miscarriage where they just either feel a, a heaviness in the vagina and then there's a blob and a pregnancy actually falls out or there is a rupture of the membranes and they see water gushing through. And this is a pregnancy that is already between 13 to 27 weeks, you know, and um, then the baby is delivered. So this is what we call cervical incompetence or cervical weakness, where the mouth of the womb is not strong enough to hold the pregnancy. And these are the ones that we actually intervene by putting a stitch on them. And, but again, it comes with that typical history. So it's not something that with the first occurrence, you are pregnant and then we say, let's go put a stitch on everybody. Unfortunately, it does come with a history. And unfortunately, women go through the experience first before we intervene. And other causes um, as well that, can, that we can do something about are infections. So these are infections which we call torch infections. And fortunately, these are not recurring infections, things like syphilis, uh, toxoplasmosis, and, uh, and rubella and others. These we can treat, and then you can go through safely um, with the pregnancy. 
Now, things that, again, that we cannot do anything about, really, that are associated with miscarriages and we just have to soldier on with and not meaning to discourage any woman is things like your age. We cannot change a woman's age, you know, uh, and the, the, the more we try to fall pregnant, we are older than the previous pregnancy. That is almost inevitable. We cannot stay the same age. So studies have shown that uh, women above the ages of 35 and even men also above the age of 40 have got uh, higher uh, chances of actually going through miscarriages or risks of going through miscarriages. And this is simply because we as women are born with our eggs. So the pool of eggs is actually even older than us because when we start counting our age, we start at birth, but the eggs are already made with us in our mother's womb and they keep reducing over the years and the number reduces. So if we are 35 years old, then the, the eggs or the oocytes are also 35 years old or 35 years plus nine months, even older than us. So now with age, you find that the eggs um, do not have the mechanism of dividing well when it comes to uh, fetal growth. And you find that there's a higher risk of having what we call chromosomal abnormalities or DNA abnormalities. So that is found in women that are older than 35 and men that are older than 40. But then again, you keep trying. I just usually say to my patients, it's like a factory fault. If Nike comes up with a, a, a garment or um, a, a shoe that has not been made correctly, they don't say we're quitting the factory, we're closing down shop, you know, everything is wrong. No, they put that one aside and they continue with the manufacturing until we get it right. So that is what usually um, happens with uh, age and uh, DNA abnormalities. And it is found that when women have three or more um, miscarriages, then unfortunately the chances of um, the miscarriages recurring also occurs. And then some people would like to know, is there something genetic maybe that could be associated with the miscarriages? And should we test our baby or test ourselves? And then yes, there are some uh, chromosomal abnormalities that um, do cause uh, abnormalities that do cause uh, or are associated with miscarriages. We call them balanced translocations. And these still, you know, I tell couples, you know, testing for these abnormalities also comes at a cost. But then what do you do with the information once you have it? Because studies have shown again that even when the parents themselves have got some uh, 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 genetic abnormalities, they still have a 50 to 70% chance of carrying a normal pregnancy. So it is a matter of then encouraging the couple to grieve and prepare themselves for the next one. There is still a chance of above 70% that the next pregnancy can still be normal. And also with the issue of the fetus itself, you find that there is also some genetic abnormalities with the baby. 
And this we do by either taking the products of conception, once we do the, uh, the dilatation and curatage, or what we call manual vacuum aspiration. Once we clean the womb, we can take the products and actually test the products for any genetic abnormalities. And once these are confirmed, as sad as it is, but sometimes it comes as a relief to us because once we detect a genetic abnormality, we know that the chances of recurrence are less. So it means that there is a high probability that the next pregnancy will most likely be normal. So um, just in a nutshell, those are the common causes of um, um, pregnancy losses. And I haven't mentioned things like hypertension that usually um, will result in either uh, hypertension before pregnancy, hypertension that is induced by pregnancy and complicating into eclampsia or preeclampsia where the rest of the body organs are, are involved. And these then can lead to either the loss of the pregnancy and unfortunately, they even put the mother's life at risk. And there are some cases where the cases where you find that it's a loss of the pregnancy and the loss of the mother's life. And sometimes the baby can be saved by a delivery and you find that the mother's life is lost with severe hypertension in pregnancy. So these are things that some women, if you find that you've... Um, survived preeclampsia in a previous pregnancy. It's a very important history to tell your next healthcare practitioner so that we can be able to put you on medication that reduces the chances of recovery. So thank you for listening. That was part one of the two-part session. And the second part will be uh, next, and you'll also get a chance to listen to the last speaker and also uh, listen to the questions and answers section. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.